Taves, white circle, shoots and scores! A shorthanded goal for Jonathan Taves! Kubelik in front, he shoots and scores! Dominic Kubelik on a belief line, right circle, shoots and scores! He set it up for Carpenter to slice and he scores! Patrick Kane has a thousand NHL points! It's time for another episode of Blackhawks Crazy. Presented by FanList. Is this the game that gets Alex to bring it back on track? Here's Kane, top left circle, shoots and scores! In front of the net, I believe to bring it, tapped it, and the Hawks have finally solved Pecorino in this hockey game. Chris Bowden and Joe Brand break down the latest storylines surrounding your favorite Chicago hockey team. The power play goal, he's standing in front of the net, put the breakaway in overtime. That's one where you're going, wow. Picked off by Keith. Did a break and a breakaway in overtime for the win on the Predator line. Shoot and scores! The cap! It's an overtime game winning goal! That's hockey, baby! Here's Chris Bowden and Joe Brand. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast alongside the man of many hats, Joe Brand, including a Blackhawks reporter. For WGN Radio, I'm Chris Bowden, your WGN Radio Blackhawks pre- and post-game host. We are past the midway point of Blackhawks training camp part due, and some mysteries continue. There's some questions that remain. There's some optimism as well on some other health matters, and there's a whole lot to break down and listen to, and uh, we will do that during the course of this podcast as the Blackhawks continue to ramp up, continue to work out at Fifth Third Arena on the west side, and um, also uh, we await uh, who is going to be on that 31-man roster that will travel after practice Sunday to depart for Edmonton and uh, get set for the qualifying round for an exhibition, first of all, next Wednesday against the St. Louis Blues, and then on August 1st, Saturday afternoon, a 2 o'clock start here on WGN Radio. It all starts for real against the Edmonton Oilers, barring any setbacks. And Joe, before we get into this a little bit more, there have not been apparently a whole lot of setbacks for the Blackhawks or across the league. Now, we don't know specifically if the Blackhawks are one of the two positive coronavirus tests over a span of 800 te- or 800 players I should say of the 24 teams and personnel we should add but that is a remarkably low number for uh, the sequence of time starting when everyone began camp on Monday the 13th through last Friday just two positive tests and we got encouraging news from the NBA from what they're doing as well and uh it is all amazing with all hands being on deck and everyone kind of watching each other as uh, uh, making sure things don't get out of hand, everyone behaving themselves in order to make this season happen. And when I saw that NHL Public Relations release the other day, uh, a couple days ago, that it was just two positive tests over 800 personnel over the opening five days, I was simply amazed at that fact. Yeah, absolutely. Kudos to the NHL, starting with the coaching staffs all the way down to the players. Uh, You hope that society can take a page out of that book. (laughs) But um, that's the main plan of this whole thing, to create a bubble, to not let anybody in and out who might have the coronavirus. And if they do take them out of the bubble, quarantine them. But one of the questions you brought up to Stan Bowman today was, you know, can that 31-man roster alter it all? And then uh, later on it was asked, round by round, can that be altered too? And he said, no, basically his interpretation from the NHL is that the plan is, here's your 31 players, we're not going to change that around because we don't want to risk anyone coming in who's been from outside the bubble and 
uh, you know, right now with the individual bubbles that all these teams have had in their own practice arenas, everything has been good. But of course, the Blackhawks still have some questions to be answered. <laughs> right. We find out more questions today. Yeah. And uh, let's uh, hear from Stan Bowman. He spoke for the first time since last Monday, the opening day of training camp. And now we're just past the midway point, and uh, they made the vice president and general manager available. And obviously, the big question now, along with a couple of other important players, but the biggest one that has been consistent throughout camp has been the absence of Corey Crawford. We haven't seen him out on the ice at all. Uh, he was on the original training camp roster, so it was not an opt-out situation. But we still have not seen Corey uh, yet as we uh, work further into week number two. As we record here on Tuesday night, the Blackhawks will have an off day Wednesday. And then more practices, scrimmages Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Fifth Third Arena. We wonder whether we'll see Corey Crawford there and uh, the equation of even if we don't, whether he might still be part of the mix. Let's hear from Stan Bowman on that subject specifically on whether he still has any hope whether Corey Crawford might be a part of that 31-man uh, player roster that will travel to Edmonton come Sunday night. We are hopeful on that. I think we'll we'll be able to give you a better idea when we get uh, you know closer to the weekend, but uh, that's something that we're we're still shooting for and uh but i don't have any definitive comments right now but we're, we're still hoping that's the case players that you go to edmonton with when you leave this sunday uh that's your group for the duration of the playoffs and uh they don't anticipate bringing the big, big issue is just bringing players in who are not in the bubble at this point there's nothing's been ruled out so you know we still got a fair amount of time before uh August 1st in the first game. So, you know, we're not thinking that far ahead right now. We're, we're really kind of here day to day. And like we said at the outset, we're right now, Corey's not here. So we're focused on the other four goalies and when, if, and when Corey's ready, then, um, We'll have that conversation. Still some optimism from the uh, vice president and general manager there on uh, Corey potentially being a part of this mix. And, you know, I, I tweeted out also that part of this 31-man roster, uh, a 52 personnel uh capped off for each team traveling to the bubble in Edmonton or traveling in the Eastern Conference's case to Toronto – they're allowed a maximum of 28 skaters, so that would allow for three goaltenders. And even if Corey may not be ready to go, say, at the outset, whether it's for an exhibition or for game number one against Edmonton, if he is close enough. I made the argument with, with a tweet today. Let, let's keep in mind the fact that even if we don't see Corey practicing or if we just see him get on the ice a couple of days towards the end of the week, um, they can still probably bring him along if they are you know, uh, optimistic that he could be ready at some point, specifically in this first series, make a decision between Delia and Lankanen and Subban. That three-man rotation has continued uh, throughout training camp with uh, two guys being uh, primarily used with the main practice group in the scrimmage. So you can take three goalies or, or any number of goalies if you wanted to scale back on the skaters as well. Uh, to Edmonton with you, and uh, so I think that equation must be thought of as well. Even if Corey isn't ready to go, or we only see him on the ice for a day or two, or maybe not even at all, if they're optimistic in whatever his ailment is, that he could potentially be ready at some point in this first-round series, if not later on, 
you still have two goalies that are active and, and might be ready to go, and you'll have Corey as a safety valve and hopefully get him up to speed, if not in you know, uh, exhibition game action or game action than in practices in between. Yeah, well, clearly the Blackhawks' plan is to hopefully have Corey Crawford as plan A rather than just a hopeful plan in their back pocket. Uh, Stan Bowman used the word hopeful today that he, he can be on the ice shortly and uh, be one of the men included in that roster. I mean, it's it's brought up so much because Corey Crawford's absence or presence in the playoffs are going to determine a huge factor of whether or not the Blackhawks continue uh, to move on and advance. But I, you like what Malcolm Subban was saying earlier this week about how he, he sees this as an opportunity to make a name for himself. Uh, I, I feel like the Blackhawks know a lot more what they have in Colin Delia. Uh, it's, it's a gamble both ways, but the prime thing that they need to focus on right now is how they're going to get around not having Corey Crawford, and that is going to be definitely a challenge. But um, like we said, he, he used the word hopeful. They are still continuing to talk as if they can have him. Again, not that they will have him, but they can have him. And it's just going to have to be a wait-and-see type thing. And, of course, it's it's with Corey Crawford, who has had these questions before. But, again, they are using the words hopeful that he can return. And it also comes uh, in the broader conversation of unfit to play. Mm. And Jeremy Carlton had to use that phrase on Tuesday afternoon when Jonathan Taves didn't practice at all, that after leaving Monday's practice at the midway point, uh, after which Jeremy Carlton said, well, uh, we just want to, I forgot what the exact phrase was, but keep him fresh. Uh, I believe that was the phrase he used. Yeah, I think so too. And when he didn't appear at all in today's practice, he was asked about it afterwards, uh, he said uh, that uh, he's been instructed even if it is just to keep him fresh situation, that to, to call it unfit to play, to keep this broad language going. And it was one of those things that applied to Connor Murphy after he practiced the first three days, and then we had not seen him since an off day last Thursday, starting last Friday, until Tuesday morning when he skated uh, prior to the Blackhawks taking the ice, not joining him for the main practice. And it was an entirely different situation for Calvin DeHaan. It was great to see him on day one of training camp. Then, unfortunately, he was called to a, a family emergency, and he was gone for a week. And then he was seen on Tuesday while the other team was scrimmaging on the main rink. He was doing... Uh, some individual work for the first time, at least to our eyes, on the other ring. So encouraging news for the Murphy and DeHaan standpoint. But now there is another mystery concerning Jonathan Taves. And uh, I'll, I'll just say one thing here for, from my observation. The last time we saw Jonathan Taves, Monday afternoon, before he left the ice, they were working on as part of the number 1 power play unit. And it has been a frustrating camp so far. Not only for, I think, the, the Taves line with Debrinket and Saad, um, they haven't been one of the more noticeable lines in camp. And then we went to the number one power play as they were doing some of their drills. And that number one power play was struggling as well during these drills against guys that were largely Rockford Ice Hogs. Um, the goals were few and far between as they tried to get this power play unlocked. And you could see the frustration in Johnny building as this drill went on and on and the lack of success. And uh, on one of the final sequences on this drill, he really wound up hard and took a shot. And, of course, it was off the mark. I think he may have broken his stick on that. 
And then, you know, he went to his knees. I could see the frustration in his face. And he stayed down for a couple of minutes. And, you know, now this leads me to believe whether he may have tweaked something or whether he is just completely fed up and need a reset button. And maybe, in fact, uh, missing practice on Tuesday was trying a way to keep mentally fresh because, Joe, you, you and I and a lot of the, a lot of the media members know how much this captain cares. And there have been times during his great career where he is struggling, and you could see he is definitely wearing it. And after all this time of being sidelined, the great unknown of when we were going to, if we were going to resume play and when we would resume play and practicing again, here he finally is with this golden opportunity of another playoff chance. And if things are going well for him, you know, there has to be a certain level of frustration. So what this is with Jonathan, we don't know, but we all know, you know, there, there are uh, things we can definitely look at based on what I observe where it can go either way. Maybe he may have tweaked something. Maybe he is just frustrated. But the most important thing is hopefully he is, is back on the ice here soon and able to uh, get things going and, and be a factor when uh, they land in Edmonton. Well, when you bring up how much Jonathan Taves cares, I, I want to use the word emotional, but I, I, I don't even like it that much because it, it can be taken in a negative context, and that's not the way I want to go with it. He can hit the reset bu- button real quick publicly Yes, after after a game when he meets with us in the media. Right, right. There, there's a huge difference in Jonathan Taves' demeanor when the Blackhawks win and when they lose. He's he's always level-headed, but he just cares, like you said, he cares so much about the team, he cares so much about winning, he cares so much about individual performance. So if what you're saying is the other thing you're saying, that maybe this is a mental reset button for him, because you got to feel like he's one of, if not the number one guy who took this hiatus of hockey so seriously to keep his body. I mean, wasn't he staying in Chicago? He never went back home, right? Yeah, I know he did a little bit of traveling. There were some shots of him, I believe, in Arizona and, yeah. and here. But, but, uh, I, but I mean, yeah, it's not like he, he was calling it quits for the whole year or anything at all. Right. He's probably the last guy to do that. Um, the, the difference is yesterday it was labeled as keeping him fresh. They could have said right then and there, hey, he was unfit to finish the practice if they really wanted to. And then today it turns into He's unfit to participate. Blanket statement, that's what... That's the rules they, now. That's what the, the rules are. That's what they all agreed on. It it can work both ways. It can be negative and it can be positive because it could create concern or rumors or whatever about any player, and it could be just the smallest thing in the world. Um, but the one thing I will take away from it is Jeremy Colleton said today, and we might hear it later, that he saw today's scrimmage as the best practice at camp so far. I don't think he would still say that. It's a very general statement, but I do not think he says that if he comes into Fifth Third Arena today and hears that Jonathan Taves' presence in the playoffs could be in jeopardy. I, I don't think he says that. So that's why I'm more on the optimistic side about Taves' absence today. They slotted uh, Philip Kurashev in on that line during uh, what were a couple of 15-minute uh, periods of, of scrimmaging as they try to simulate game action a little bit more and more as the week goes along. And the thing is, we're sitting here speculating on this podcast. We won't know for sure with an off day on Wednesday until Thursday whether we see Jonathan Taves back on the ice. And along those lines, seeing Murphy and DeHaan very encouraging. Hopefully they're on a right track and building themselves back up where they can be effective because we have talked on our previous podcast here about you know, you get to Han back, uh, you pair him with Murphy on a second pair along with Boquist and Keith 
on a top defensive pairing, and that gives you even more encouragement and juice about how they might be able to match up against Edmonton with McDavid and Drysaddle on two separate lines, especially in games one and two. In a five-game series, trying to find the correct matchups, you feel a whole lot more confident uh, than perhaps reaching on what uh, what has been a very effective third pair. But again, it was a third pair towards the end of the regular season before the pause because Ole Mott and Slater Cuckoo were really playing well together, but you have to bump them up and then try and find another third pair if Murphy and DeHaan aren't ready to go. So that in itself is very encouraging. And that also brings us to Brent Seabrook as well because he's been there for every single practice, um, likely paired with, or, or, or consistently paired, I should say, with Lucas Carlson. It was another one of those young defensemen who you know gives you some reason for optimism uh, as to the depth of this Blackhawks uh, organization on the blue line moving forward, and uh, Brent, you know, we we sung his praises last week on the on the podcast for getting himself back out on the ice, and he has been there for everyone. He has been there for every condition, conditioning session, and you know, from from the eye test for the very unprofessional eye test, um, Brent's out there working hard. He still, to my eyes, and I think the eyes of others, is still a guy working himself back from two hip surgeries. And we don't know how high that ceiling is going to be and, um, you know, whether that would be suitable and desirable against the kind of high-flying lineup that the Edmonton Oilers has. And But you would have to rely on that a little bit more if a Murphy and a DeHaan weren't ready. You'd have to perhaps work Seabrook back into more serious consideration along with Carlson and Nicholas Bodan, who has, you know, consistently been with that main group as well. Uh, and make it a very tough decision for Jeremy Colleton. If Colin, uh, Connor Murphy and Calvin DeHaan there, C&C are there, to perhaps be ready and healthy to go for a second pair, um, you have more reason to be optimistic about the Blackhawks' chances, especially if Corey Crawford isn't ready to go. Yeah, I, I think the main things to keep in mind, we keep talking about how Corey Crawford's, again, absence or presence in this first playoff round will play so much of a factor of how the Hawks do. It starts with Corey Crawford, then it goes to Patrick Kane, then it goes to Jonathan Taves. As of today, two of those three were somewhat in question, but even saying that is kind of a stretch. But after that, it goes down to the depth of this team, and that's why these these close eyes on Connor Murphy, Brent Seabrook, Calvin Nahan are are under a microscope to 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 see where the Blackhawks match up with the Oilers. Because again, it's a best of five series; it's not a best of seven series, and. We've talked about this before. I think that works in the Hawks' favor, just because, on paper, the Oilers are a better team. Uh, But once you really go to break this thing down, we'll get into this a little bit later, talking about how great Kirby Docks looked on the ice so far. That third line is going to prove to be huge for the Hawks in this series. So that's why the depth of this team is so pivotal for how well they do in that opening round. We'll hear uh, from Kirby and about Kirby. I mean, he is the most complimented guy here in the first 10 days or so of this training camp uh, by far. But another group of players and another line that has been the best of camp so far has been that with Dylan Strom centering Alex Nylander and Patrick Kane. And yes, I know all the naysayers and non-Alex Nylander fans will jump up and say, okay, it is only training camp. Alex Nylander had himself a great training camp back in September and uh, had himself a pretty decent start to the regular season. But then as one of those young players trying to learn a 200-foot game and an overall game, it was certainly an up-and-down roller coaster season for Alex Nylander. But during various points of the season, including the, the last handful of games before the season was paused, 
Strom was centering Patrick Kane and Alex Nylander once again, and it was one of the Blackhawks' more effective lines for the past or for the final week or two before play was paused. And it by far has been the most effective line in all the scrimmages that we have seen so far. They are generating chance against chance, no matter what the defensive pairing and uh, opposite matchup has been in some of these scrimmages. It has been absolutely dominant. Uh, accounting for uh, most of the goals that we have seen overall. I'd say up to half of the goals between uh, both teams in all these scrimmages since last Wednesday that that Strom, Kane, and Nylander line has been responsible for. And, of course, it all starts with Alex Nylander and how effective he can be and whether his game has grown a bit with the experience that he has in his, uh, behind his back based on this past regular season and his, his largest swath of work at the NHL level, and uh, also whether he can step up his game and whether he did his due diligence and, and made the type of improvements and hard work that he did during Phase 2 and anything that happened prior to that. So as we take a closer look at this Strom line, first you will hear from Jeremy Carlton and Patrick Kane talking about Nylander, his season, his potential, and then we'll wrap it up by hearing from Dylan Strom talking about that line in general, how effective they had been, what they need to do in order to be effective in a series against the Edmonton Oilers. And then as we wrap up from Strom, you will hear him also talk about how it takes time to learn how to play with a great player like Patrick Kane and his unique skill set. Being a line mate of Patrick Kane, how it takes a little bit of time to learn how to play with him effectively. So let's hear about that uh, trio uh, of Strom, Nylander, and Patrick Kane. First beginning with the head coach, Jeremy Carlton. A lot of times with young players, you you try to you give them an opportunity and you see how they respond to it. You know, they get their feedback and and then... Sometimes if it doesn't work, you pull back a little bit, maybe give them a little less responsibility, and and uh, it's kind of a it's a push and pull until they uh, grow into the role that you're hoping they can play. And um, you know, those three had played together uh, around mid mid season, around Christmas time, and they had a couple of really good games, and then uh, there was a drop off, and so then you know we we flipped it. But uh, this last time, I thought Alex responded really well. To, to the opportunity. The biggest thing that we've been preaching to him the whole season is just his work ethic away from the puck and getting to full speed away from the puck to, to put pressure on and cause turnovers and to, to give defensive support, uh, just to have an impact on the game when the puck's not on his blade. Uh, because he, he's got a lot of skill. He makes plays. He's, he's got some weapons offensively. Uh, but we want him to have an impact on the game when he doesn't have the puck, and especially when you're playing with Kaner, uh, we we need them to have the puck. That's when when we're getting the most out of out of Patrick. So um, hopefully that that lines look good so far. Uh, they've been really active. They've been skating well. They've been uh, showing a lot of chemistry, and they've been scoring. So um, hopefully that continues. I mean, he's got all the talent in the world. You know, he's he's a great skater. Got all the puck skills. He's got a good shot. I think sometimes. You know, you look at a guy like that, he hasn't really played that much as far as, like, minutes and um, being able to to play in, like, a top six role consistently. So, you know, when he was in that spot at the end of uh, the season there before the break, you know, we were really starting to, to develop some chemistry. Our line was coming on. We had a few good games in a row. But I think he can do a lot of things with the puck. You know, he can hang on to it. He can create space for himself. You know, 
I think right now you don't want to give him too much about how we want to play, but as, as you know, camp goes on here and we start scrimmaging a little bit more, I think we'll talk a little bit more about certain details that we want to do uh, when we're on the ice together and how we want to play um, to be effective, you know, especially in the playoffs. So uh, leaving him alone right now because he looks great. He's skating well. Um, his puck control is really good. He's creating a lot in any type of uh, um, battle drill or, or scrimmage so far. So um, I think him and Strom have, have looked really good so far in camp. We just uh, we click well together. I think we all bring a different element to the game. Um, Nelly's got the you know great speed and uh, great shot, and uh, you know he likes to hold on to the puck and make plays. And then obviously. Kaner does his thing uh, with the puck and um, makes plays all over the ice. So I think it, it kind of blends well together. And then, you know, I just try to get open and, and make plays. I think our, our big thing is um, not throwing the puck away, um, holding on to it. And, you know, obviously we're better when we have the puck and we can, when we can get out of our zone. So we've been trying to work uh, a little harder on that to, to get out of our zone. I think this is going to make us uh, a better line. I think, like you said, we, we ended off the season uh, on a good note. And uh, hopefully we can keep it up more in this, uh, this playoffs. You just got to learn to, to you know, the way, the kind of player he is. Obviously, you watch him, you know, I watched him growing up and stuff. And, you know, playing with him is a completely different, uh, different, different thing. You know, he, he's very good with the puck and he wants the puck and he demands the puck. And I think there's, uh, you got to be aware when you should hold on to it and when you should give it up to him. I think I find myself forcing a lot of plays to, to, to get to him. But at the same time, you know, you kind of want the puck and, well, you obviously want the puck and, and on his stick. So, you just got to learn, uh, you know, I, even from the first, my, my first game I ever played with in Chicago was with uh, Kane and Debrinket. And I think I had like seven or eight, you know, grade A chances. And that's something I probably didn't have in Arizona in the full season um, before like the, the, the 20 games that I had already played there. So it's just, you, you got to be ready for the puck. You, you know, you got to get open and, and, you know, when you have the puck, you got to, you know, make the right play. Um, I think, like I said before, we've been working on holding onto the puck and not turning it over. So we don't have to, you know, race back and, and waste energy and, and play, go play defense. So, like I said, I think we're, we're better with the puck, and we've been working on that and just getting used to playing with him. He's such a talented player that um, whenever he has the puck, you got to get open, and um, you know, it's your job to, to make the next good play when he gives it to you. Interesting stuff there from Dylan Strom talking about you don't automatically become great just because you're playing on a line with Patrick. And yes, he makes it a lot better, but there is a learning curve in uh, finding out how to play with him effectively. So I thought that was a, a real interesting tidbit that – Dylan threw in there and, uh, you know, all the chances that he got generated by in his Blackhawks debut, you know, a year and a half or so ago. And then uh, still it's a process in learning how to play and being in the right position and uh, kind of knowing where Patrick is and what he would like done when he has the puck on his stick, which is so important. And puck possession is so important when Patrick Kane is out on the ice because... Just like McDavid and Dryside, all those guys are ineffective when the other team has has the puck. So that's going to be one of those storylines to watch here. But also back to Alex Nylander. And yeah, he he's a lightning rod, not only because the guy he was traded for and Henry Yoki Haru, that you know, a, a, a very popular guy among among Blackhawk fans. And and based on the body of work and the reputation that Alex Nylander had, um, seeing if he could ever reach that potential. He ends up with ten goals and sixteen assists. In what was it, 65 games or so so far this year? 65 games this season. In those last five games prior to the pause, including a goal and assist performance against San Jose in that last game, he totaled two goals and three assists as part of that reunited line. And yeah, it's it's all well and good when you are lights out here in training camp, and maybe the physicality isn't what you're going to see in. Um, a, a winner takes all playoff series. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see the 
amount of effectiveness that line, and in particular, number 92 has when uh, we resume play on August 1st. Well, yeah, the optimist in me wants to say uh, he got off, or rather ended the end of the season before we went into the hiatus. He ended that well. Who knows? Maybe this breath of fresh air after not playing for so long could be the the, the time off he needed. But the, the other thing you got to keep in mind with all these lines going on in camp right now and, and seeing what works and what doesn't, I mean, you can always change it at, at the drop of a hat, too. I mean, we, we've seen Joel Quinville do that in the playoffs multiple times, and it's Again, a smaller sample size with a best-of-five series, you might see Jeremy Carlton a little bit quicker to do that. Um, quickly going back to Dylan Stroman playing with Patrick Kane, I think the one thing that a lot of fans might not realize is, yeah, of course, you're going to play with Patrick Kane, you're going to feel like a better hockey player, you're probably going to be a better hockey player, but you also got to keep in mind that there, there's a fine line you got to walk on whether to pass to him or not, because the other team might just be expecting you to pass it to him because he's the more skilled player. And I think Patrick Kane is more of a guy that wants you to improve. So therefore, the whole line improves and the chemistry builds and all, all that kind of stuff. And it's, So it's kind of funny. You know, I'm sure everyone in the world who plays hockey wants to play on a line with Patrick Kane. But it's also got to be a little challenging on whether or not to, to hang on to it or not. And that's why I feel he and Artemi Panarin were so well because they were just on the same page so many times and and so much that uh, it was a lot easier for them to click. And I, I think Dylan Strom is one of those guys that understands that as well. Uh, yes, and Artemi Panarin named a Hart Trophy yes, finalist earlier on Tuesday along with uh, Nathan McKinnon and Leon Dreisaitl. So uh, those were the MVP finalists announced on Tuesday. So you mentioned wanting to play, standing in line, wanting to play for Patrick Kane. I think everyone in that Blackhawk camp, uh, with the exception of that line, wants to stand in line and play with Kirby Doc because he has been absolutely eye-opening. You know, you could see during the arc of his rookie season, you could see this kid coming on. You could just see the potential growing and growing with each particular game, despite the fact he had that long stretch of, I forgot how many games it was where he didn't collect a single point, but he was still so effective in other areas of that game for an 18, 19-year-old to just blow that off, not seeing your name show up on a score sheet, but still be a very effective player, despite the fact that he also struggled from the faceoff circle as a rookie, uh, was extremely impressive. Well, he has taken it to another level here since uh, rejoining the team for the late stages of Phase 2 and really been arguably the best player out on the ice uh, from what we've seen, with perhaps the ex- exception of Patrick Kane, uh, since they got back together here at Fifth Third Arena. Everyone is raving about Kirby Doc, and we will start out hearing from him about what he was, what he focused on when play was paused on, on March 12th, went back home to Edmonton, and you'll hear him talk about a real important asset because he'd been grinding for about a year and a half of doing nothing but playing hockey. And you'll hear him talk about getting away from the rink, being a positive, and just getting at it in the gym and and focusing on what he felt based on observation and, uh, and what he played through during his rookie season, where he needed to get stronger. You'll hear him spell it out, and then you'll hear some interesting comments as well from Jeremy Carlton and Patrick Kane about the strides that they have seen from Kirby Doc over the past uh, four and a half months or so since play was paused. But we begin with the 19-year-old himself, 
uh, talking about how he kept himself busy and what he focused on over the past four months. I think I really focused on on my lower body strength and and my core strength. Just uh, the biggest takeaway from last season and the regular season was uh, just how strong guys are in the corners and and winning those battles and how important those pucks are. So I found that uh, if I could get a stronger center of gravity and be able to win those pucks, it would help out my game. And um, I obviously wanted to get faster and then become a better skater. And um, I think adding size to, to your lower body, but also adding stability and strength is a, is a huge thing for me. And just being able to grow into my body. I, uh, I know I'm young still, and I, I have a lot to go on that aspect, but uh, if I can build a, a good base layer for, for myself and build on top of that, uh, hopefully it'll be a good career. The biggest thing for me was not being on the ice. Uh, I kind of been playing hockey for the past 18 months leading up to the the COVID break. So um, to kind of get that break away from the game and and just rejuvenate and, and relax, and but still at the same time putting the work in the gym and, and getting ready to go, I think that was uh, really important. Um, at the time, it may, may not have seemed like that, but uh, now that I look back on it, it was, it was good for me. You know, when you watch him play in, in West, the Western League, it, it felt like he wasn't going to learn the lessons he needed to learn as a pro and as an NHLer there. Um, he was ready to be challenged and uh, wasn't perfect early. And I'm sure, you know, it's when you're used to playing a lot, it's sometimes hard to play a little bit less. One thing you really enjoy about Kirby is you only have to tell him something once. You give feedback to him, he'll kind of look at you and, and take it in. He doesn't say much and then you never have to deal with it again. He really blossomed as the year went on and, and became an important player for us. And um, going forward, that's, I think this year there was a little bit of adversity, a little bit of up and down for him, but he got through it and he came out the other side uh, I think tougher mentally and, and he's an NHLer and he's, he's close to being an impact player in the league. So fun working with him and we're excited to see how he's going to look in the playoffs, sir. I noticed it right away when he came back. Um, when he was skating with us right before training camp, those those few days he was with us. Looks like he's skating better. Looks like his shots better. He looks like he's a little bit bigger. Um, like he might have put some weight on. And um, yeah, I think he he's looked really good. But I think if you if you add Kirby in there, the way he plays and how good he is both sides of the puck, he's strong on the puck. Um, he could be a big factor for us, especially in playoffs when you need you need depth scoring and you need uh, um, players to play in all situations and you need to count on everyone on the team to be on the ice in, in certain situations. So, you know, even though he's 19, he's a guy that can come in and uh, and play a big, heavy game for us. So he could be a great playoff player, you know, potential-wise. He has all the potential in the world. I think he can be... Uh, you know, a top player in the league. Um, sometimes you, you know, especially a player in my position, you try to help those guys along a little bit and talk to them about your experiences, about what you learned about the game when, when you're earlier on in your career and things you learned that worked and didn't work. And he's got the ability to to skate by guys and to be able to use his reach to get by guys and, and beat guys one-on-one. So he's a guy that can create space that way, but also he can do that by, you know, creating space for his teammates, you know, put a guy on his back, um, pull someone to him and then create some space for someone else. So, and he has all the potential in the world to do that. So I think, um, you know, he can, uh, he can be as good as, as he wants, you know, and we'll say in time will tell, but um, I think he's had a great start to his career. You know, it's not easy to come in at a young age and play. And you can see, you can see the improvements throughout the season, throughout the 
last time he played till now. Um, he's getting better and better, so he's going to be a good one. Words of high praise for Kirby Doc, not only from Jeremy Carlton and Patrick Kane, but we also heard Duncan Keith earlier on Tuesday. It's it's hard to uh, it's almost like pulling teeth with Duncan. Sometime he was asked a blanket statement about who he's really seen jumped up among the young guys, and he was reluctant to pass out individual you know uh, credit to anybody. But he was almost forced to say, "Yeah, Kirby Doc is looking a whole lot different." But then you hear from others from. Uh, you know, uh, Ryan Carpenter a couple of days ago to uh, uh, some of the other defensemen uh, uh, drawing praise for, for Kirby Doc, and, and rightly so, because not only is he a guy who is using that stronger base, but you've seen some of the clips, you know, sent out on, on Twitter by some of the slick moves that he's made as well. And it's really exciting and, and, and enticing and, and um, you know, you wonder how high the ceiling could be. And granted, you know, it could be a flash in the pan, but I, I don't think so. The way this kid focuses and is very low key and appears to be very mature in knowing what he has to do, and obviously not getting too high or too low with the way things go, based on you know his offensive drought during that rookie season and still managing to play so well despite that. Well, what's funny is it's like. Well, yeah, what else would Kirby Doc do with a four-month hiatus of not playing hockey? He just played 18 months straight. He gets up to the NHL. He proves his worth. Even when he's not producing, he's still doing something productive on the ice. He's already got a pretty big build. So, yeah, why wouldn't he just pack on some weight and and strengthen up? But I, I think that just shows to his work ethic, to his confidence in himself. I mean, we've been kind of blown away by Kirby Doc right from the get-go and. Uh, the main thing is he's been able to maintain that his entire time with being with the Hawks. And the other thing, it's almost like it's another year for him. He played, what, 64 games this season. Uh, you get that little hiatus, and then, hey, let's let's try to win some playoff hockey games. And he's, in some sense, he's not a rookie anymore because yep. he, you can treat this as an off season. He finally got some time to breathe a little bit, um, and now he's living back with Brent Seabrook, so he gets to have that leadership right underneath his roof. Too. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm just super curious to see how, how effective he is on this stage in an important game, and I'm really also intrigued by that line because on one wing he has Dominic Kubalik, who, congratulations to him, is a Calder Trophy finalist. Um, I think everyone believes he's not, unfortunately, going to come away with it despite scoring 30 goals because McCarr and Hughes have been have been very impressive and very instrumental as well in uh, leading their respective teams to the postseason. But on the other side, he has Drake Kajula. First of all, Doc's an Edmonton native. He's going to be playing, you know, not that he can do anything about it by hanging around <laughs> with family and friends when he's in Edmonton, but uh, perhaps a little more juice in, in his stride in going back to uh, the bubble city, playing in his hometown. But you also have Drake Kajula, the former Oiler, who's going up against many of his former teammates. And I think Drake Kajula, provided he stays healthy, is one of those guys who is is can, can just be the perfect type of playoff performer. You know, one of those sandpaper and grease and guts guys, if he can stay healthy, uh, has a little you know uh, offensive flair, talent to his game, I'm I'm curious to see how that how effective that line can be and how also Jeremy Carlton decides to match them up whether he puts them up against 
one of those top two lines for Edmonton that features one of the top two scorers in the league, too. It's going to be really interesting and intriguing. He's got more finesse, but I could see the comparison between him and Brian Bickle with the playoff situation, maybe because they look alike, too. Um, <laughs> A couple missing front teeth. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I mentioned it earlier in the cast, too, how uh, that third line is going to, what I believe, provide huge dividends for this series. And again, that's that's expecting Corey Crawford to be playing in between the pipes. If you bring in a variable of Corey Crawford not being there, we're, we're talking a different uh, offense from the Edmonton Oilers. But you got the McDavid and Dreisaitl lines going against the Kane and Taves lines. So that third line for the Hawks, and you got the huge talent from Kirby Dock and Dominic Kubelik. I mean, that's going to be pretty big, uh, barring that it stays that way. And uh, again, all the other things align for the Hawks. Yeah, and and you know we talk about two of those rookies on one line in Doc and Kubalik. And yes, the math is going to have to somehow work. And that is that is nothing that's going to be simple here. But when you look at this roster and the, and the gradual turnover that's happening, it's not like we're ready to kick Kane and Taves and Keith out the door at this particular moment. But you see some of these young players and their upsides as this roster transitions. you got Kubalik and Doc on that one line. And and I should mention also that Jeremy Carlton has been consistent to say the least. He has kept four lines together throughout this training camp. He hasn't been, not been doing a whole lot of tinkering. You mentioned the Strom and the Dock lines. Earlier I mentioned Taves, Dabrinkit, and Saad together as it was right before the pause. And then Camp uh, Carpenter and Highmore being that fourth line. Uh, they All four of those lines have stuck together barring unfit-to-play uh, instances. But I mentioned Kubalik, Doc. You have Alex Dabrinkit, who is in his third year. You have Dylan Strom, a restricted free agent like Kubalik. Yes, the math is going to have to find somehow find a way to work with a, a flat salary cap. We talked about Alex Nylander and what his potential can be. And, you know, this playoff is going to say a whole lot about Alex Nylander in terms of how many, how many strides he's taken. Adam Boquist on that top defensive pair uh, already. Lucas Carlson knocking on the door. And then you have a couple of other young uh, defensemen. Nicholas Bodan has impressed as he has fought his way, uh, with Murphy and DeHaan out consistently into that main practice group. So you have all those young players, and then you have uh, last week um, Stan Bowman and company getting business done with Ian Mitchell, which is no surprise. We thought that was going to be done, a second-round pick from 2017 with a huge upside. A lot of people very um, uh, interested and excited about his potential at the NHL level. And then he goes out and signs a college free agent, Wyatt Kalanuk from Wisconsin, who is another one of those puck-moving defensemen who has put up big offensive numbers at an elite program in college. He was a former seventh-round pick of Philadelphia, decides not to sign with them, and Stan Bowman goes ahead and, and inks him to a deal last week. And then another one of these European free agents along the lines of Panarin and Kempney and Gustafson and Kubalik and Pia Suter. Cahoon. Who, who is also, and Dominic Cahoon, who is also, okay, bye-bye, um, <laughs> who is also uh, in the Swiss League, the same Swiss League that Dominic Kubalik was MVP of a year ago. Pia Suter led that league in scoring and also has a history of assistant coach Mark Crawford. He's a one another one of those guys who is going to be in the next training camp, whenever that will be, and could potentially factor into um, having a roster spot there. So, again, this roster turnover and some people to be excited about in terms of 
what the Blackhawks may look like in the future and uh, Stan Bowman and company getting the job done with some of you know uh, these highly sought guys that other teams have been interested in bring them into the Blackhawks fold. Well, and the the whole thing about the Ian Mitchell signing is, and they wouldn't have been able to have him for the playoffs. Is that right? Even if he did sign for Correct. this year, yeah. Right. So I mean, it's kind of bizarre. But then the way you look at it, he becomes a free agent by twenty three, twenty four, I believe. Yeah, you're not burning one of those early years off of his initial contract right now, and you need cheap help yeah. over the next couple of years. Well, cheap, effective help. Because look at all the defensemen that become free agents, whether it's unrestricted or restricted by 22-23, which is the year before. Ole Mata, Connor Murphy, Adam Boquist, Nicholas Bodine. I, I mean, it's it's it provides you a little bit more stability. Of course, there's the Keith and Seabrook contracts involved in there, too, but they're going to be even older by then. And we now have hockey games to look forward to, provided there are no stumbles. And and Joe and I, you and I talked at the outset of this podcast about how amazing, if if true, we have only two, two positive tests so far through the first five days of training camp. Again, that's just dating back through last Friday. Things can change very quickly here. But we talked about the importance of getting through these two weeks and getting to the bubble in Edmonton. And if that happens... Uh, we will learn Sunday evening, Monday, and and uh, I think, folks, we may follow up with a podcast once we know who the 31 players are uh, following the the completion of training camp on Sunday, who will be traveling to Edmonton. We'll have some more answers about Crawford and Murphy and DeHaan, and hopefully Taves isn't a concern at that point. Uh, but we'll have a, a clearer picture of who are going to be those 31. And along those lines, we have schedules set because the exhibition – Next Wednesday against St. Louis, a pretty good team to have a warm-up game against uh, in Edmonton. will be 5.30. It'll air on WGNRadio.com. John and Troy will be here in the WGN studios with me. Joe and I were enjoying a look at the setup for John and Troy. It's quite a sight. (laughs) As they will get set to call the game off a TV monitor, which which might not be in, in... in John's ideal world, but it's the world we're living in right now. <laughs> yeah, we all we all have to adjust. All have to adjust, no matter what job we have, and that and John Weidman is no exception. But now they're they're both pros. They're both incredibly entertaining. So I know total or everybody's craving for some hockey and and some John and Troy. I know I am. So it will be a very exciting time to actually hear them once again. You're, you're not. You're not. Craving the Chris Bowden pre and post. Well, of course that too. I mean, come on. (laughs) I'm just just looking for. I'm just happy to work again. (laughs) So that game will be on WGNRadio.com at 5:30 next Wednesday. But then uh, the three games that are locked in time-wise: the August 1st game one against Edmonton. That'll be on a Saturday, a two o'clock start. I'm guessing we're going to have a one thirty pregame show. I, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, and that's a, a main game on NBC Network. We're talking TV though, uh, but the radio broadcast will be here on uh, WGN seven twenty at uh, two o'clock. I guess a one thirty pregame show. So we hope you'll be tuned in for that. And then games two and three. Uh, get some coffee ready because those will be nine thirty Chicago starts. For games two and three on two, uh, I'm sorry, Monday the third and then Wednesday the fifth. So uh, Monday the third, Wednesday the fifth, games two and three, nine thirty Chicago time, and we will await on games four and five. Hopefully there will be, oh, unless the Blackhawks sweep, 
Now, hopefully there'll be a, a game four and maybe a game five of that series, but uh, the puck drop on those games still TBA. But again, 2 o'clock for game one Saturday the 1st, 9.30 puck drops on Monday the 3rd and Wednesday the 5th. I think I have that straight. Number one, I'm surprised that they're giving these series a day off in between for the first four games. I was expecting it to be back-to-back-to-back-to-back, or at least back-to-back, day off, back-to-back. Um, but boy, imagine if it does go five games, and you know well, that will be a back to back because right, if they do right. go four and five, that will be a back to back. So, so on the a winner, Friday, Saturday, right? the winner of game four gets all that momentum moving into game five. But you know, maybe it's that quick memory that the losing team needs. That's cool. I like that. I enjoy that. And and even Patrick Kane was talking about. Uh, he finally came around. You know, we, he said, you know, we were asking him about his his level of concern a couple of weeks ago. When this was still being hammered out, and, and you know, he said, you know, there was still a lot of uh, a, lot, a lot of things that needed to be worked out. But once it was, not everyone was doing backflips over what the final result was, and as well as the CBA moving forward. But he said, no one's going to be entirely happy in this situation based on the hand we're dealt with these cards the world is showing us these days. Uh, but they got a new CBA done. He is pumped, and he is really pumped to when he's not playing, to be like the rest of us, or most of the rest of us, sitting in a lounge or sitting in his bubble hotel room or whatever it is, watching constant hockey, especially in that qualifying round, because he is a hockey groupie, a hockey nut, and he can't get enough of it. And, and you could you could tell the giddiness in his voice when he was talking about being able to watch hockey when he is not playing hockey, <laughs> games that count, too. Yeah, he's a student of the game. No, Patrick Kane, it's so it's so cool to watch. It's basically, you don't see his mind work, but when you ask him a very intriguing question, uh, I remember Mark Lazarus once had a great piece about like all the goals he's he's scored, and he's got this photographic memory about a bunch of them. Uh, it's he's just one of those hockey brainiacs and somebody that remembers almost everything. It's it's always interesting to hear what he has to say about the game and the game's history and his history in the game. Yeah, so uh, he's excited. We're all excited that for hockey to get started up again. And we are intrigued by uh, what's going to happen unfit-to-play-wise over the course of the next few days. Again, the Blackhawks taking Wednesday off. They'll be back at it on Thursday, and maybe we'll have some more answers concerning Crawford and Taves and DeHaan and Murphy looking up in a couple of cases, but still a question mark over a couple of others. We want to thank you for joining us here on the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Um, we're thinking of doing a fresh one as soon as we know who the 31 players are that are going to be traveling to Edmonton because we can have answers to the questions that we're wondering about in this particular podcast. So we will tweet it out and let you know on social media. Uh, Joe is at, at Joe brand, uh, Joe underscore brand one, the number one, Joe underscore brand one on Twitter. I'm at Bowden Tweets. So we'll keep you posted on whether we do something fresh on Sunday night or, or Monday, whatever it will be, so we can uh, have some answers to the questions that came up in this podcast. But again, thanks for listening. And uh, again, we'll also tweet things out on WGNRadio.com uh, and uh, provide a link for you there. We also encourage you to subscribe so our podcasts are right there for you anytime uh, we get things wrapped up. And as we wrap up, our thanks to the voice of the podcast, the real voice of the podcast, Ernie Scatton, as well as our hardworking producer, Curtis Koch, for pasting this all together. And again, thank you for listening. Blackhawks training camp continuing as we count down towards the plane taking off for Edmonton on Sunday night. Exhibition next Wednesday and then 
Hopefully, knock on wood, we finally see playoff hockey Saturday, August 1st at 2 o'clock start against the Edmonton Oilers. Stay well, stay safe, everyone. How about that? He's won it. The Hawks win the Stanley Cup. Thanks for listening to the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Tell a friend, subscribe, and join the conversation. And follow the guys on Twitter, at Bowden Tweets and at Joe underscore brand one. That was great.